Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 404.5, recorded on Sunday, the 22nd of January, 2023. I'm Moss, remember me? The host is a buzzkill. I'm Joe. Hey everybody, I'm Bill. So let's move on to our Linux innards. Well, this episode, we just got the wild idea that we could talk about what our favorite distros are and distros that we've been watching for the future. And uh, obviously, when we're talking favorite distros, the first thing we talk about is Mint. Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to do this a bit more freeform, and then Bill kind of put all his stuff at the bottom there. So... Um, when it comes to like mint, yeah, no worries. I, I feel like mint is uh, a very drop it in and use it type of thing. Um, while it is extremely customizable, if that's your thing, you can use it without any modification. It's good for anyone that is used to older operating systems, um, similar to XP, meaning that it can work for older users or less technical users. Mostly for me and for anybody that I install it for, it just works. So if my grandma were to say that her Windows machine was bothering her, I would set her up with Linux Mint and see how things work from there. It's, yeah, uh, it's the distro that I set up for people that just need it to work and I don't, you know, have to do a lot of. IT support form. Okay, voting. Which desktop? I like Cinnamon, but Mate is just as good, I would say, to set up for someone else. I think, yeah, I of course, I'm running Cinnamon on this machine right here, but I don't... If I'm setting it up for somebody else, I almost never choose Cinnamon just because... And I know it's completely anecdotal, but in the early days of Cinnamon, I had some problems with it. And well, it used sometimes, to crash too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, even with an update, you'll go back to that whole Cinnamon needs to restart pop-up yeah. coming up. But that you rarely lasts for more than a day or two. But yeah, I guess Mate would be a bit more stable. Yeah, I think it's... Probably yeah. Mate or XFCE or probably... I would just... vote Mate. I don't know anyone using XFCE in Mint, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are doing it or they wouldn't keep putting it out. I, I tend to install XFCE or Mate or both in the background for remote access stuff. Hmm. It's slightly lighter. I mean, like, very slightly lighter than Mate. I don't know. Um... I've got three people I've set them up with Mint XFCE because they preferred the whisker menu over the brisk menu. It is what it is. Because I'll show it to people in a virtual machine. Do you prefer this or do you prefer that? After people get over how nerdy of a thing that is to do, then they it seems like they most normal people seem to prefer the XFCE version. 
you know, make of that what you will. Mm. So okay. what you got for us next, Joe? Well, next on on my list, uh, well, technically this was the order that they were listed on here, but um, Fedora is really like third on my list. Um, now, Fedora is one of those distros that has a great community behind it and instructions for just about everything you could want to do on it. Um, and it can act as a drop-in replacement, but I found it more useful on like a touchscreen or a tablet than, than some other operating systems. And it is really not my favorite for multi-monitor, but it is somewhat easy to use. Um, now, some of that is probably more a reflection of GNOME than it is Fedora. And if I installed a different desktop on Fedora, then maybe it would work better for multi-monitor. But... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, really what attracts me to using that as an alternative for Mint is the fact that there is that community around it and the development for it. And, and all of the instructions and tutorials that you can get to get it running the way that you want. Yeah, that's pretty much on the bottom of my list, but I know my late friend John Noggle ran Fedora and kept trying to talk me into running it. I've tried it a few times, but uh, I just can't. I it doesn't play well. It doesn't play well with other versions of Linux, but on its own, Fedora is pretty good. I just well, kinda... that one time Josh Hawk had given me that Dell laptop, and he'd set it up with Fedora, and I looked at it, and I go, yuck. And I probably put something else on it and then said, well, I need to try Fedora, and I put Fedora back on, and then I go, yuck, and I put something else on, and then said, well, I need to be doing Fedora on here, and I go, yuck again, and I eventually just uh, uh, sold that Dell laptop to Dale. I'm with I, two minds with Fedora, because on one hand, it is a good option for Oh, like gamers that want to have the up-to-date kernel and they, you know, you, you, you're getting packages a heck of a lot faster on there. But on the other hand, I can never set it up for somebody that needs something, you know, set it up and run because there are hoops that you have to jump through to get things like codecs. This is and, definitely not something that you just, like, hand to your grandma. No, it's not. Um because I, I think I, I ran it, I don't, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I was running it as the daily driver. And that was because in those days I was using, there was a project out there called Corora, which was based on Fedora, but it came out of the box with the codecs and everything just working. Um, I think it had RPM Fusion built into it day one. And then decided just, I just kind of, one day I had to do a reboot or a, a reinstall and decided I'd just go with the regular version of Fedora and figure out how to get all that stuff working. And I don't remember it being elegantly straightforward. So, yeah, on one hand, is it great for power users? Yeah, but, you know, I think they don't they don't market it as being easy to use or at least easy in the way we say something like Mint is easy. Yeah, but it's a good way to get into RPM, which is good if you're planning on working with a lot of uh, Red Hat servers in the in the future. Um, so, yeah, it's a good way to learn, and it is definitely not a bad option. 
No. Well, next on the list is Bodie. I wonder who wrote this list. It might have been me. It was you. <laughs> well, Bodie's my favorite. It's super light, quick, and has a special desktop. Moksha is based on Enlightenment E17, made more stable and featuring all the working functions of layer versions backported. Version 6 has been out for a while. Version 7 is just ahead. It's a small but friendly international team, and they still support 32-bit machines. Version 5.1 is final based on uh, Ubuntu 18.04. They had a version 6 beta based on Debian 11, and they have just... They, they got it to beta and then had to start working. 2204 came out and they had to start working on the next version of Bodhi. And uh, so they're going to be working on 32-bit as version 7. Uh, when they get done working on the 64-bit version 7. No. But there's really only three main team members. Uh, Jeff Hoagland started it, but he's no longer on the team. And apparently some money has still been going to him and he's not turning it over. But uh, Robert Wiley is in uh, Georgia. And then we got Stefan in Hungary. And uh, we got Hippie Taff. I think he's in the UK. I could be wrong about that. Technically, I'm on the team, but basically, I just open my mouth every now and again and uh, uh, give them a little bit of money. <laughs> you talk about fast. Bodie is fast, folks. I That's mean, because you, it's a lightweight. I, uh, well, I mean, it is a whole different concept from the other desktops. Yeah. Moksha, uh, you, you don't have to ever boom. find the menu. You just click on the desktop and the menu pops up. Yeah. It sounds like something that I'll, I'll need to try out in the future, especially, you know, just the fact that they still have a 32-bit version um, and I still have some netbooks floating around. Well, they Great still support their 5.132 bit, and uh, like I say, the beta seems to be pretty usable uh, of version six. But they do intend to continue supporting 32 bit. Yeah. If you haven't tried Bodhi, you need to give it a shot. It's just enough different that that you'll wonder either how it works or why you haven't had anything work like that before. Does it do well with multi-monitor support? I have not tried multi-monitor support. I would guess no, okay. but that's just me. Actually, okay, next I've, on the list. I'm sorry, Moss. Go ahead. I've heard somebody say Enlightenment handles multi-monitor better than better than some other bigger uh, desktop. So, Well, the problem with Enlightenment is they keep moving on with new features and they don't ever try and make it stable. Mm -hmm. the, the most stable version they've had is 17, and they're currently, I think, on 25. And so uh, Moksha, they try and backport as many of the working features as they can. But again, it's a small team. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have multiple monitors, so I can't answer that. I do, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna install it on this thing. <laughs> Maybe I will if I if I do a nuke and pave in the in the future. Occasionally I'll do that. Well the next on the list is an up and comer. I've seen a lot of people say that this might be the distro you try and never distro hop again. And that's Big Linux, which is a Manjaro derivative out of Brazil 
runs Plasma Desktop, but it runs it like you've never seen. I, I don't see any configuration issues. And they pretty much tossed Discover overboard and uh, set up something called Big Store, which works beautifully. Uh, Big Store includes uh, flat packs, snaps, uh, AUR, and the native programs all in one store, although they tend to fill out the AUR in the second slot, and there's a lot of AUR, so you have to scroll down quite a bit to get to the snaps and flat packs. But it's really... I I I have I ran it for a month on my T460 and then got a kernel panic. It is now the only thing on the T460. Uh, to five, what am I talking about? I don't have a 460. I have a 540p that it's running on, and um, it runs really well. But I haven't run it long enough that they, they do updates internally rather than expecting you to go. Uh, and update the repo and uh, do the updates after updating the repo. It all runs internally. It's supposed to be for new users, but I haven't run it long enough to know how long that goes before it breaks, and maybe it doesn't break. Yeah, I'm looking at the website here. I have looked at this before. They've got a lot of different layouts that they're showing here, and it does look like they're... It's well, it's difficult to get me to run Arch on anything, and uh, I just saw enough. I, I know um, eBuzz Central really raved about it, and I said, well, I'll try it. I didn't have any more Debians to try. <laughs> I, I was ragging myself for doing three straight Debian-based distros. But it... it it's easy to use. It's easy to set up. It's everything that you thought you wanted in Linux. Uh, I just don't know how stable it is long term. Yeah, that's the thing about these really, um, I don't know, aggressively, uh, these flash really in the pan type distros. You know, you just never know because this is a lot of stuff to maintain. Uh, right. How long is it going to stick around yeah. for? Is it going to be here this time next year? Right. Well, it's been around a lot of years now. It just didn't get noticed until recently. Mm. The, their main versions are in Brazilian, Portuguese, and English, but they have uh, many other languages supported. Cool one, folks. Go check it out. BigLinux.com. Uh, the next one on the list is another of my old favorites, Open Mandriva LX5 and Rome. Now, 5 isn't out yet. They're still on 4.3, but it runs great. This is the most complete remaining distro in the Mandrake lineage. Uh, LX5 is in testing, and Rome is rolling, has already been tested, and is ready to accept the V5 files when they arrive. To be honest, it's a slow roller. The team does not like releasing apps before they're fully tested. A large and friendly community makes this a distro to pay attention to, and the Plasma desktop has been polished to the level of sheer beauty. When you, when you boot up Open Mandriva on your laptop, you're just blown away by how pretty the laptop is. I mean, yes, it's only a wallpaper, and yes, there is some opening music that is gorgeous. But the fact that it's all put together and it's laid out right there, and even your if you're doing multi-booting, your boot menu becomes just as beautiful. There's something to be said about a distro that just starts up right from the beginning. Just 
you know, some distros are okay when you start them up, you know, they, everything's there, but some, some it's, it's as though they're really trying to make you happy when they, when they start up. And I think open Mandriva is one of those where they, they, it mattered to somebody to put in the effort to make that first initial experience, uh, a positive one. And you but, do get that a lot with, uh, uh, KDE plasma or well with plasma. I mean, if it's set up right. Yeah. Yeah, the team is very international, but seems to have about half of its uh, devs in France. Ben Ballard is very friendly and welcoming to anyone coming into the community. So they do everything right. Uh, what can you say? I don't know why I'm not using it all the time, but uh, it's a distro you need to check out. Okay, and next on the list is Garuda, which I put on the list. Um, this is one of my favorite backup distros because it's very full-featured and still easy to use with its installer. It's a good choice, like, out of the box for gaming um, if you want to be on, essentially, the bleeding edge of tech. Now, it is an Arch uh, distro, so, yeah, I just threw out and an I run Arch. Um <clears throat> And it has uh, a modified version of the KDE Plasma 5 desktop environment, which looks great. But um, it also comes with many others that you can run through the installer, including Cinnamon, which does make it very, very like easy to run. And their welcome page is great, and it leads you to all of the different tools to either update or install whatever you want installed. <clears throat> And it also uses uh, the Calamaris graphical installer. Um, it is also a really new distro in that it came out in um, 2020. So it has not been around for very long. But I, I really like what it has offered so far. And it is much more of a... Or at least it feels like much more of a heavyweight operating system. It's like its minimum requirements are um, 30 gig of storage to start off with and 4 gig RAM. <clears throat> but um, it does seem extremely usable for an Arch distro. The devs for this distro are based in India, unlike you, you would think that Bodhi was with all the Hindu words that they use, but it's not. But Garuda is a Hindu, India-based distro. Um, Josh Hawk has been having a lot of trouble with this one, and I've tried installing it a couple times and, and not been able to finish. So it might depend on what equipment you've got. Yeah, I didn't have any trouble with it, and I, I, was, I think I was running it on a laptop. No, I was running it on a tablet. But... Um, I thought it worked well. I didn't have any issues, but I haven't run it in a while either. So if they've had any recent updates that broke something. Hmm. And well, um, next on my list was um, MX, MX Linux, uh, because it's extremely lightweight and um, does have a 32-bit version. It's been my choice for lower resource systems. It, it's still... Um, modern while being like a full-fledged operating system. It's not as 
pared down as something like uh, Puppy or uh, DSL. Um, it's still good for older hardware and lower cost hardware. And, and it is, it's just been my choice for um, that purpose for a really long time now. And it does uh, start up with the XFCE as its uh, main desktop environment. But um, there is a freestanding KDE Plasma version. And also, as of 2021, a standalone Fluxbox implementation. I will point out that uh, XFCE back in 2021 got a little bit heavier. They decided to fix a bunch of things and it costs them memory. Um. It's not as light as Bodhi, but if you're wanting something that looks like Windows, XFCE looks a lot more like Windows than Moksha does. Yeah, and XFCE and Fluxbox both have the 32-bit editions, but uh, KDE has 64-bit only. Yeah, um, it... It has been around for a long time, and it is what I use on any of my lower resource systems that would have trouble running Mint on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, um, <clears throat> doesn't sound like anybody else has anything to say on MX other than what Moss added, so I'm going to move on to Ubuntu. And, you know, Ubuntu is... An obvious choice as a replace, replacement for Mint if you don't want to install Mint for whatever reason. Um, other than some philosophical issues with the packaging system and choosing the desktop that you want, it is extremely easy to transition from Mint or really anything else. Um, this would not be my first go-to simply because I'm more used to Mint. And if I'm going to go out of my way to install something else, then it's either going to be Garuda or MX or Fedora, depending on my needs. But um, it is a good, solid choice. It does have um, a very large community behind it. And there are several versions that you can get um, with um, different desktops as the primary instead of, you know, getting one and installing your own. So that there's, what, Kubuntu, Zubuntu, there's Ubuntu Mate. Uh, I don't know why that's not called which Ubuntu. Is, which is part of the uh, problem with Ubuntu for a new user, you first have to decide what desktop you want, and a new user might not even know what the desktops are, and to see right. this whole list of things, and they're each on different websites. The thing is... It, it provides too much choice. Well, new users, at least in my experience, are almost always steered to Linux by somebody like us. And we're told, and we tell them to go and get Zubuntu. We tell them to go and try Ubuntu from Ubuntu.com, you know, or whatever direct path we lay out for them. So I don't know if if that's really an issue, the, you know, all the choice, because... Well, if they have someone like us to talk to, that's true. Yeah. I just don't see people that don't have somebody like us going and looking for Linux. And, well, I even, didn't. <laughs> well, you're, one, you're like us. Yeah. You're anyhow... You know, one of us. One of us. Yeah. Yeah. It, if you don't like snaps, don't use Ubuntu. It's that that's, simple. That's basically the big thing. They, and most people don't care. They they absolutely don't. And if you didn't know 
that there was a difference between this package and that package. Um, and honestly, most of the the outcry involving snaps was the fact that people weren't told that they were getting a snap instead of a deb. Yeah, well. And then they started substituting snaps for debs without telling anybody. Yeah. They did that once, and then they, they really underestimated, I think, the reaction that the community would have by that. Because their first, the thing you got to understand about Ubuntu, and anybody that's going to go and use Ubuntu, the first thing Ubuntu will consider when making decisions is how this will impact their customer base. This is a, this is a profit, I'll say profit driven. I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but this is a company that has a product that is based on Linux. And so when they go to make decisions about technical directions to go, they're foremost, first and foremost, they are considering how this will affect their commercial offering. Okay. And if it makes more sense to provide Chromium as a snap, because now we can more effectively uh, maintain that for all the different versions of Ubuntu that we're, that we're providing support for, then that's the direction we're going to go. But I think it, I think they've made, I'm not going to say mistakes, but I think they've underestimated the backlash that they would get. Or they're just so jaded by it that they figure that no matter what decision they make, since it's canonical, they're, they're going to get backlash for it. So yeah. they might as well do what they, well, the, la the last three years, Canonical has basically been reorganizing along the lines of what, what we can make money with as a business. Yeah. And uh, to the point that this year they are expecting to go IPO. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. I didn't want to come out and say that because it's it's almost a meme at this point, too. But, I mean, that's that that's a logical next step, isn't it, that that they would go. Well, for years they were denying the fact that they were even thinking about it, but now they've actually announced it. Yeah. But, you know, for all the people that are so hard on Ubuntu because of the uh, the snaps direction, and then some people you will use the fact that uh, Ubuntu Mate's got Flatpak built right into it day one. You know, well, right there's your evidence that uh, the developers were against it. Well, no, not really. It's just those developers are not maintaining a, quote, commercial product so they can go in the direction that they want to, that they think is technically more uh, suitable for the user base that they have. And, and yeah, it's it's arguable that perhaps flat packs are a better way to go for uh, a distro or a flavor of the distro that might be more uh, suitable for regular users than Ubuntu proper is. Well, let's let Bill hit on... It looks like we've covered everything but Debian and elementary, and then we can hit our honorable mentions. Uh, well, and, and your server distros, yeah, yeah. Um, I I just made I wasn't real. I guess I should have read what everybody else wrote, but I I made of a couple course of you lists. should have. Well, I That's made why a, we did it as a team. <laughs> yeah, and I apologize, folks. Um. I made two lists. What I made was a top-down sort of list, like a uh, top five from my least favorite to my most favorite. Uh, understand that this is not me saying that every other distro out there is crap, and these are the only five that I would ever use. This is 
this list is really just based on the things that I have used in anger and have gotten the most uh, success out of. Um, first on the list is elementary OS. Elementary OS um, should really be considered whenever you're talking about distributions that you can just install and run and have that expectation of it working well. Um, if you're not looking to make a lot of changes, if you if you're not overly opinionated about the way your distro should look and run, you can install this and, and it'll work well. And it is an entire, it's a bubble within our ecosystem, isn't it? It's, they've got their own walled garden is a frequently used term. It kind of is. I mean, you've got access to all the same software anybody else does, but this is, this is a, a, uh, a design scheme or a, a design paradigm that was, well thought out from top to bottom and so it probably will work really well now it's it's not for everybody uh just for two reasons one that you can't change a lot and the other is that it's laid out in a way that's comparable comparable to other operating systems and that's just because not because they're trying to clone the other operating system it's because there are things about the design experience or the user experience that uh, they felt was positive, and so they they uh, did the best they could to sort of emulate some of that. Um, next on the list is Ubuntu, and yeah, for all the same reasons we were talking about earlier, it it it's good choice for something you want to install relatively quickly and and just use and like you can install um 2204 on it right now and it'll it'll work until what 2026 so if you want to put something on somebody's machine and not have to worry about it for a while ubuntu is a good choice now i put debian on here just because debian is Debian proper is probably a bit more versatile in my mind if you know your way around it as far as setting it up for different systems. Um, some 32-bit systems I've set up, I've used Debian because they still maintain a 32-bit uh, install. And then uh, you can still get LXDE. They've, they've actually got a light version where they use the LXDE desktop which I still believe is a good choice for lightweight systems. Um, next, uh, next down is Mint, and we all love Mint, and we all know why we love Mint. That's why we're here. And then Arch. Arch has been... Uh, it's been my favorite because it makes you learn how yeah. your machine works. Yeah, for for the honorable mentions, um, Arch and Debian were were both on there, so yeah. I, I do want to add a little bit there before you move on to your server stuff. Okay. Yeah, Arch. Uh, you can make Arch. You can make Arch into Garuda and uh, Endeavor OS, and you can make Endeavor and Garuda into Arch just by adding and taking away repositories or just a simple install of certain tools that are used. And that's really what 
in a nutshell, any distribution. Arch is really kind of the anti-distro, isn't it? Because it's not, it's, it's kind of the install script to give you this thing and then you're kind of up to your, on your own as far as how it's set up. They don't make any assumptions or decisions on how you want your machine set up. So if you are a very opinionated person about what things are used and how things are set up, Arch is always going to be the way to go for something yeah. like that. Not that, quite LFS, but yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's why Arch made my list. And it's because it is the base for so many other uh, distributions. And it is completely scalable from the bare minimum that you need to every add-on you could imagine. And yeah, it really is just awesome how much you can add to Arch. Now the one limitation is uh, the one thing that Debian has on top of that is the 32-bit yeah. uh, installation. So it's not appropriate for older machines, which... Yeah. Well, you could also but, mention stability, but... Yeah, and that's another reason okay. that Debian also made my list there is because it is the base for so much. Uh, it's like the granddaddy of all of the, the yeah. releases that we talk about that aren't Arch-based. So... And as far as stability goes, that's a difficult subject to broach to with Arch because... When people run into trouble with Arch, it's, in my opinion, it is not due to stability. It is due to um, something not lining up after an update. And you're, you're always encouraged to go read the, the front page of uh, Arch Linux. What is it? ArchLinux.org, I think. Um, and they will tell you if there's an update that will break something. And you want to keep that in mind. You want to make the necessary changes. Another problem people will run into is installing things from the AUR. You know, sometimes uh, a tool chain will up and change um, on a repository installed program. And then you still have an AUR installed program that didn't get updated. And it needs to be rebuilt against this new tool chain. These these yeah. are these are things a user needs to learn how to do. And these are things that a user that uses a Debian based or a uh, Rel based distro doesn't have to worry about. Yeah, no, that, I mean that's again, true too. It's, it's but true. But the Arch Wiki exists, and yeah. it is extremely useful if a bit hard to navigate. And um, one of the main problems, which Bill was edging into, I think, there, is that um, as things change, the Arch Wiki doesn't always change as quickly. And there are old articles there that you will think, oh, this is perfect. This will solve my problem. And then you start going through and you find out that the instructions don't work because, well, the tool chain doesn't exist anymore or... One of the tools that was installed there simply isn't supported anymore and is uninstallable. Yeah. This is why you don't give Arch to a new user. No, you never would. <laughs> Arch, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. Um, and sometimes I do worry that these, these projects that make a lot of effort in the direction of making Arch easier... Um, I worry that that may, oh, well, that's a good distro to give to a new user. Even Manjaro. Now, Manjaro probably does the absolute best job of making 
Linux palatable for uh, maybe less, uh, I don't want to say technically inclined, because even Manjaro sort of commands a more uh, intermediate user, I suppose, because you're still, you still have the risk of running into problems with something like Manjaro. I don't think it should ever be handed to a new user. People should probably uh, find their own way to a, an Arch-based distribution, and you know, and by extension, like a Gentoo-based distribution. And you should have a reason for using these things because if your if your reason is just that you want more up-to-date software, then maybe maybe something like Fedora is a better better choice because you're you're less likely to run into the same kind of problems. Well, let's hit our honorable mentions, and then if Bill wants to talk about servers, he can. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, a lot of the stuff got covered there. Um, now, Raspberry Pi OS, because, well, Raspberry Pis. Now, you can run Ubuntu on them and things like that, but um, a lot of the instructions that are out there on in the community for Raspberry Pi, everything is based on either Raspbian which is an older form, older version of Raspberry Pi OS, or it's based on Raspberry Pi OS. So a lot of times installing that just really makes doing all of the projects easier. Now, um, on my list, I also have mentioned Alpine. Now, Alpine isn't one of those things that you, uh, you install and use, at least, you know, not for me. But it's an extremely stripped-down version of Linux, and it gets used for making, like, Docker images. So it's the base for a lot of Docker images. And then you take that stripped-down version, you add in what you need, absolutely need, to make your Docker image work, and then you release it out into the wild. And then <clears throat> next on my list is... SteamOS, and SteamOS, I, I think, is um, an Arch backend, but um, it, it's a lot more controlled by, you know, Steam. And um, the reason I mention it is because it's actually, like, shifted the market, um, the percentage of Linux that's being used um, in the wild by a couple of percentage points, if I remember right. Now, can you get uh, an ISO for this? You can, but it's kind of a hack around. We're still yeah. waiting for an official release of okay. uh, the SteamOS Arch version so that you can like install it on a desktop. Uh, yeah. We got promised that last year. It has not officially happened yet. Um, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure that like the V2 of the Steam will be out before that happens. Yep, store.steampowered.com slash steamOS slash build your own. That's yeah. how far they've come, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool that they're offering that as an option, though, I think, yeah. you know, because it's like they know that people that are into what they got going on are very likely to be nerds, you know, and and uh, enjoy the opportunity to build something out of Steam. Steam's a, Valve is a exceptional company in my opinion in this now case. there is also hollow iso which is basically uh a team that put together an installable version of steam os presumably using the tools that steam offered from the 
from the website. Well, I'm sure that there's someone out there that has completely pulled the image off of a Steam Deck and either started running it in a VM or started pulling everything out so that they could completely rebuild it for a desktop. But even then, that wouldn't be official. And as Joe has pointed out, we haven't talked about Linux Mint Debian Edition. Right. It it also made my list of honorable mentions. It's not... Well, I've installed it to test it to see how it works and compared to, you know, regular Linux Mint. And, and yeah, it does... It, it, it kind of skips that whole Ubuntu stage that uh, we were talking about um, Debian being, you know, the granddaddy and then that would make uh, Ubuntu the daddy. So... Um, <clears throat> Linux Mint Debian Edition cuts out that middleman there, and it seems to work really well. It's not really, like, building in popularity or anything, but um, I do think it was important for it to be on the list because it is that merger between Linux Mint and Debian. Well, I, I'm, I'm drawing up a blank right now. Are they based on the testing version of Debian or the stable? Stable. See, that... I wonder how well it would work if you switched it over to the testing version, because then you would have the benefit of Mint, but you would have more up-to-date packages. Hmm. So, I know I tried. We we did a thing what last year when the the newest version of LMD came out, and I tried to switch it over to SID, and it just it just folded up like a cheap ten on me. Hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, it it did some pretty strange things. And the last thing on our list is KDE Neon, which some people will scream, that's not a distro. Oh, it certainly is. <laughs> Basically, you've got uh, Ubuntu Base or Ubuntu Core, and then you've got the latest Plasma on top of it. Right. And the problem with it for most people is it's always updating. Yeah. Which... It's always updating the KDE stuff, yeah. Yeah. Because KDE... And on the other hand, it's running LTS on the Ubuntu stuff, so... Right. You've got old stuff from Ubuntu and the latest thing on KDE. It would be interesting if you could... If they would put their do release upgrade tool in that, and then you could... If you wanted to, you could update the underlying Ubuntu, or, you know, that's... That's just me talking out of my hind end, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, I I ran it before, um, and you install KDE Neon, and you get a very limited installation of packages, but you get a full up-to-date version of KDE, but you can achieve and, that. And, you know, you, you know what you want to run anyhow. You don't need to... Uh, like most times oh, when I when I put in a new distro on my machine, I have to start deleting the stuff I don't use or don't yeah. want. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's why some distributions that offer the minimal installation is it's kind of cool because yeah, I mean people that use Linux are by and large, I think, opinionated about the things they use, and that's not always the mainstream stuff that you're used to seeing in default installations. Okay, tell us about server distros, Bill. Okay, so um, I have uh, I've amassed a considerable amount of uh, 
server chops in the last year. Um, well, I guess it goes back further than that because I've had like file servers and stuff going on to connect Cody to and things like that. I don't manage servers for companies. Um, I drive a truck for a living. So this list is completely home-based server derived. That being said, um, first is Debian. And for many of the same reasons as we discussed earlier, um, except Debian is a good choice for a server as well because it will give you a very minimal base. You know, if you're not going to depend on snaps or anything, uh, it's it's a it's a good way to go because it's not going to update on you very often. It's just going to work. So if you want to set something up and then put a website on it or something like that, that is probably even the best choice. Um, CentOS. So CentOS uh, used to be a CentOS Stream. You mean? Oh yeah, Cent CentOS Stream. Is what they're calling it now. Now, CentOS, as it were, used to be um, the free, non-commercially supported clone of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, CentOS Stream is more of a... It's not really rolling as much, but it's uh, it's getting updates... A heck of a lot faster than uh, than Red Hat is. It kind of sits. They in basically placed it between Fedora and Red Hat. Yeah, in some ways, and then in other ways, it's before Fedora even on some things. So it's it kind of exists in a world more comparable to how OpenSUSE handles things. Now there are new distros that do what CentOS used to do. Yeah, I, Rocky comes to mind. Rocky and Alma, and there's others. Those those are distributions that have continued down the path of simply doing a bug to bug clone of Red Hat, and that's a good option. But CentOS or CentOS is uh, still available, and if the RPM tools is your thing, then that is still a good way to go. Um, for people that want to use tools like um, Cockpit, which is kind of a web uh, interface for managing your servers that gives you like a a whole lot of metrics on how your server is running uh cockpit is a red hat project and that runs best on red hat or uh rpm based distros that use network manager as the uh networking interface um so that's still a good option for something like that. And it's, and it's a perfectly fine option for like a website or something like that too. Okay. Now these last two, um, or these next two, I should say, are the ones that I use on my S, uh, SBC devices. Uh, Armbian. Armbian is a huge project. Um, very ambitious. They basically, they provide an ISO or, uh, a bootable image for almost every single board computer device out there. Um, and they have two, for most of them, they have two, uh, well, they've got two concepts for each. One, One's a, like a Debian-based and one's the Ubuntu-based. And 
I've got Armbian running the the server edition. Now they've got a desktop and a server for each one of these devices. I've got the Armbian server uh, running on my Rock Pro 64, and it's based on Ubuntu, uh, the latest version of Ubuntu, and it is a fine choice because it gives you all the same. It actually gives you a forked version of the Raspberry Pi OS. Uh, uh, configuring tool, the Raspi config, and it's it gives you even more options. Like one thing you can do with the Armbian config tool is you can set a, uh, a static IP address right there from that tool. That is, for whatever reason, they've not included that in the Raspi config tool, which is an interesting choice because setting a, a static IP address is one of the things you have to do if you're setting up a server or it, well, it'd be maddening to run any kind of server without a static IP address. So that's one thing that Armbian, in my opinion, has over Raspberry Pi and, or Raspberry Pi OS, I should say. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a fine option for all these little SBCs that are out there that are not commercially supported the way the Raspberry Pi is. Um, and Raspberry Pi OS is the next one on the list, incidentally, and it uh, it's what I've got running. I've got the light version running on, oh gosh, a Pi 4, uh, Pi 400. The Pi 400 is running mintcast.org, and that is on Raspberry Pi OS Lite. So basically, it, it basically is Debian with a couple of, uh, well, it's Debian compiled for ARM, uh, with some very specific stuff added in for the Raspberry Pi. Um, in fact, if you run NeoFetch on the 64-bit version of Raspberry Pi OS, it returns the Debian symbol as the ANSI uh, logo. I don't know. I don't know why that hasn't been changed, or if that's not an important thing to them, or whatever. But it is. It is still probably the best choice for the Raspberry Pi because you're going to get all of the firmware updates a lot faster on Raspberry Pi OS. Uh, and I've never had a single problem with it. But the, uh, last, but certainly not least, is Ubuntu Server. Now, if you want to set up a server and you want access um, to some very specific things, i.e. snaps, but most importantly, ZFS. If you're going to run any kind of file server and you want access to ZFS, um, there's also ZFS. I've heard that I've heard that that's really similar in a lot of ways to ZFS. It is um, ZFS. Just Canadians and <laughs> and other people in the uh, UK Empire pronounce it as Z. If I had to guess which one of you was going to bite on that, I would have guessed. <laughs> well, my wife is Canadian. What can I say? <laughs> um, but yeah, you've got in-tree ZFS support on Ubuntu server. There's no messing around with DKMS or any of that. You just, you've, you've got it right there from install time. And if you need snaps for something, right now the only snap I use, well, and I don't anymore. I was using the uh, CertBot snap to get my certifications but then i i learned how to make self-signed certs so that's what i do now for these things and 
So that really means I'm not running any snaps. Uh, but you have the access to the, if you wanted an easy way to set up a Nextcloud server, you've got that in a snap and, uh, you know, you're up and running with Nextcloud in minutes. Um, but that's all I'll say about that. Uh, and you've got, you know, apt install Docker and then Docker just runs splendidly on Ubuntu. So of course, a, Docker would run well on anything. But uh, I can say firsthand that it runs really well on Ubuntu server. And that is all I've got. And I just noticed there were some popular registros that we skipped, such as Pop! OS or the much more recent Tuxedo OS, which is also made to run on a machine uh, that Tuxedo puts out, which is... Uh, Clevo, I believe, still. Some of the System76 machines are Clevo still. And again, if, if the distro you love didn't make this list, please understand that that's just because these are the things that we use. Write us a letter. Yeah, write us. Tell, Tell us, us about all the stuff. about it. We, we don't Complain. have anything for vibrations this episode. So no. Complain. Yell at us. Tell us we suck. Q4 it's not OS. Fair too, because we've been putting out episodes on time, too, so... Uh, you know, you can't blame it on that anymore. So, yeah, write in. Let us know what, what esoteric strange distributions you're using or what, what luck you've had with any of these. What and works we'll, better yeah. than any of the stuff we've mentioned? Have you used LFS? Have you ever sat down and built something without LFS? Is Hannah Montana Linux the best distro ever? Rebecca Black OS. Now, Rebe <laughs> Rebecca Black OS. Now, that was an interesting one because it was... It was kind of funny, but at the same time, I remember it being the the very first distro to run exclusively on uh, Wayland. It is still being maintained, and it is considered a security OS. Hey, there you go. Well, that about wraps us up. We can probably blather on for hours, but... Uh, We're good at that. This chair is getting kind of sore or something like that. <laughs> it's almost past my nap time. Yeah, us old folk, you know. Well, we don't have uh, we don't have anything for vibration, so let's move on to check this out. Well, Londoner is not here to talk about this. Why don't you do it, Joe? Well, um, Londoner um, provides the help with our uh, time sync. So he provided Time Switch. It's an easy-to-use graphical program that allows you to power off, reboot, or suspend your system, send a notification, optionally with a sound signal, or execute any command on a timer. The app is built for GNOME and uses libedweta, um, but it works in any desktop environment. The source code is available from GitHub. It is also available as a flat pack and is also in the AUR. Now, I thought this had to do with like time zones, but I, I guess not. So this is to um, oh, graphically allows you to power on or off your or power off or reboot or suspend your system. That, that's that's interesting. So it's probably like a graphical front end to. Um, something like shutdown, tech P, tech H, plus one H, 
or something like that. Now we have both we have all spent the last day or so fighting with Pysol FC, <laughs> and we're trying out the new flat pack of my fa- my old favorite game. Mine it too. works, and I don't like it much. It doesn't include the card sets in the flat pack. And Bill likes the new icons. I don't. I, I spent like three or four hours playing Mahjong. <laughs> I always use K Mahjong for that. <laughs> yeah, the Snap is the way to go on that. It's worth installing Snap G just to get Pysol, Pysol FC. <laughs> I did use I did use the flat pack for that. Yeah. So. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Pysol FC is an old uh, solitaire game. It's actually all solitaire games that they could find. Uh, they have a nice set of card sets available. They have a lot of neat features, and it's just, I think, the coolest solitaire game out there. Well, it is certainly the most feature-rich. I mean, I don't yeah. know of anything. You might have stuff out there that looks more modern, but nothing has the sheer number of games and then... Yeah, I mean, it's a solitaire game on which I was playing Mahjong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's and weird. we also have an article that we cut from news because it really wasn't news and it was really long. Unix is dead. It's yeah. a great article, uh, let's see, from the register on the fact that all active development of Unix has ended. Mainly because Linux and uh you know meets all the Unix criteria. But well, they said they also mentioned in the article that even Windows could pass the uh, uh, Unix standards, if they wanted to. <laughs> I don't know of anybody that's buying a machine and then putting Unix on it. So I mean, if any, no one is, yeah. So if if any development needs to be done at all, it's just to keep old esoteric stuff running that is sitting in a server farm somewhere in some company that's not changed a thing in thirty years. You know. That's not a criticism at all. No, basically everything has migrated to Linux anyway. Um, yeah. Most of your stuff that worked on Unix works on Linux. So There's no why not move to something that's updated? To... The article is both fun and informative, and y'all should read it. So, that's it for Check This Out. Housekeeping. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at https colon slash slash mintcast.org. Our next episode is 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, February 5th, 2023. And there's a link to get that converted to your time zone. Thank you, Londoner. Our next roundtable live stream is 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, February 11th, 2023, and there's a link to get that converted to your time zone. Live stream information is available at mintcast.org slash livestream. So wrapping it up, where can we find you, Joe? Well, I am on a couple of other podcasts. You can catch me on the Linux Link Tech Show, uh, tllts.org. You can catch me on Linux Lugcast, linuxlugcast.com. You can send me an email directly, jb at midcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss? 
I'm on Full Circle Weekly News and Distro Hoppers Digest. You can email me, bardmoss at pm.me. I'm at Zyvala at hosttux.social on Mastodon. And I've got websites at itsmoss.com and peacefulhippo.info. Bill? Well, you can email me, bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore H on Discord. I'm at, uh, at WCHauser3 on Twitter and WCHauser3 on Facebook. I've also got a Mastodon. I'm going to have to get that written in here. Um, at WCHauser3 at fostodon.org. Um, and check out my other two podcasts, uh, Free Fat Truckers and Linux OTC. Linux OTC, probably more for this crowd. Um, the, le- the websites will be, uh, linked in the show notes, um, uh, podcast.org and linuxotc.org. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Audio Freak Rio for our audio editing, also with help from Bill. I think we're still using archives.org for hosting our audio files. Yeah. Hobstar for our logo and NitRD for the animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time sinks. Bill for hosting the Linode, which runs our website, website maintenance, and the Nextcloud server on which we host our show notes on raw audio. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.